electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. We will, as Carl said, continue to monitor the Section 230 hearing on Capitol Hill. We do want to get right to the markets, though, today, where stocks have been under significant pressure right from the outset today. Concerns over COVID front and center. Europe moving closer to tightening restrictions and cases here in the United States continuing to skyrocket. I've got the investment committee here with me now. Joe Terranova is here along with Steve Weiss, Surat Saiti, Jenny Harrington is back, the CEO and portfolio manager at Gilman Hill Asset Management. Virus, of course, the big story today, the number of new cases hitting an all-time high of 70-plus thousand on a seven-day average. Steve Weiss, turn to you with stocks under significant pressure. Dow's now down 10 percent from its high. No, we don't have control of the virus. We don't have stimulus. We're not rounding the corner. We are, as Dr. Scott Gottlieb said on Squawk this morning, quote, entering the most difficult phase of the pandemic. We've got yields lower, S&P's down for three straight days. What do we do with this today, Steve? Well, I've, I've taken off a number of positions. and I've added some shorts, added some puts to protect stocks for earnings. They've done a little bit, but ineffective when you look at the carnage that's out there in stocks like UPS and Microsoft, which both had good quarters. So I'm still very cautious on the markets. We're through earnings, and earnings hasn't been a lift. Even though it's a good earnings quarter, put it in perspective, it's still down 16% year over year. So markets are way overvalued, and corona is a big issue. I don't see returning to the March lows because I checked the number of cases in China and, and South Korea and the Philippines and Malaysia and Vietnam, which is a supply chain, and there it's very much contained little spike in Malaysia, but, but definitely controllable. If that goes the way that we're seeing Europe and the U.S. go, then it's look out below. But right now, tech is the place to be. I also think there'll be better buying opportunities because stimulus won't be on the table now until at least after the election. And if we get it then and Trump's reelected, we know that it's going to be a very skinny plan. I don't think it'll be enough because the Republicans have said, some said we have enough, some have said 500, 500 billion. That's not enough. So Bottom line to me is we're not going to know who's president for a number of weeks after the election. That's optimistic that the downside is still apparent because there's no upside catalyst. All right. Period. So, so, Jenny, to Weiss's point, Art Cashin saying today that basically the same thing. If you start seeing a pickup in cases in Asia, quote, all bets are off. That's according to Art Cashin. Weiss said something interesting to me that I want to discuss with you uh, that stocks, the market's way mm-hmm. overvalued. You know, we've had people come on the show in the last couple of days and say the market's way oversold. So which is it? Right. It depends. Yeah. It depends on which part of the market you're invested in. If you're invested in the high tech stocks or the high cap tech, sorry, high market cap tech stocks or the high growth stocks. Yeah, it's overvalued. If you're invested on the value side where I am, it's so cheap. I mean, I manage a portfolio of dividend stocks 
that lean value, the forward multiple on this portfolio is like 12 times earnings. And you can look at value versus growth for the year and you see how wide that divide is. So I don't think this is a time when you can answer that broadly. I think you need to answer it at a granular level and assess what your portfolio is, where your portfolio is invested, and then say, is what I'm invested in overvalued or not? In my case, it's painfully not. <laughs> then, then tell me so. why, because now I'm struggling to understand mm -hmm. why you would sell Qualcomm, given what you just said, and how you made the case seemingly for it the last time you were on in a conversation about Intel that we were having. So what, what's happened yeah, since? So so Qualcomm just simply reached the price target that we had that we had looked at it for. We did a ton of work on it. We've been doing a ton of work on what the price target is for months. And we came up with the fact that we thought it was probably a max valuation of $130 to $150 a share. So last week when it got up to about $128 and only had a 2% dividend yield, it was time to sell at that point. And this is a really you know specific portfolio decision. It's not a broad-based macro call. But I looked at that. I said, this might have 15% upside. It might have 15% downside. But I know that I can reinvest. And I have a short list of things that I want to reinvest in. I know I can reinvest in something that's now cheaper with bigger yield, which is what I need. And that fits better for my portfolio. So this is not, you know, hey, if you own Qualcomm, this is not go sell it. This is, this is the decision that made sense for my portfolio that I manage for my clients. So Joe, what, what am um, I supposed to do? It wasn't uh, a big broad thing. Uh, forgive me, Jenny. Um, Joe, what am I supposed to do? You know, uh, do I go back to stay at home stocks? Because now I'm really worried about where the virus trajectory is. Do I go to big tech? Because Kramer on the heels of Microsoft says, there's not going to be a turn in tech until Microsoft bottoms. So sometimes the best trade is no trade. And we talked on Monday about Tony Dwyer and his perspective, which was we just have to get through uh, the next couple of weeks where you're not going to have very much clarity. Uh, this is the most classic example, Scott, of good news and bad price action. I keep mentioning that because when you look at earnings reports, we're witnessing very strong earnings but yet we are not seeing the response in terms of price action. So I'm sitting back, I'm waiting. I'm looking at two critical indicators right now, one of which is oil. Exxon and Chevron this morning traded to their lowest level since March 23rd and March 24th, respectively. Oil has been, for the better part of 2020, the proxy for a surge in virus cases. It telegraphed what was coming in January, and it's doing it now once again. We would need to see a turn in energy for me to get enthused about re-entering the market. Secondarily, yields. Yields are the proxy for stimulus. We need to see a rise in yields. We want to move away from the safe haven buying that we've experienced over the last couple of days. Those two indicators, I step back into the market and I begin to uh, assume risk once well, again. Well, it could be a long wait, right? I mean, you're really going to ban you're banking on energy to be, to be the tell? Why, why, why would energy turn anytime soon, right? We're, we're on the cusp of potentially more lockdowns in Europe. We may not get lockdowns here, probably mm -hmm. won't, but you're going to have uh, the potential of a pullback in consumer behavior. That seems like a tough place to look for a sign that the market's okay. No, it's a great measurement of, of potential speculative behavior. Um, would I buy energy names? No. But what it indicates to you is that there is actual comfort in assuming more risk in the market. And I, I look at everything through the lens of where is the risk exposure? Obviously, in the last couple of days, the risk exposure was far too much given the macro headwinds and the response to earnings. 
So understanding that, I utilize energy as, a, as an instrument to measure for me when speculative risk can be assumed once again. And all I need to see is some form of bottoming for energy. We don't want to fall through the levels that we witnessed in March because, to your point, that telegraphs a more ominous scenario right, but with macro conditions lying ahead. How can energy bottom with a virus that hasn't topped, right? Cases are continuing to I, surge. Aren't they related? Of course they are. That's what I just said. They're a proxy. Uh, Scott, I'm not an epidemiologist. I have no idea how energy can bottom related to the virus. I'm telling you, I'm watching energy as an indicator for risk assumption. I'm observing energy. There are things in the market to the right of me right now. I've got my screen up. I look at all these instruments and I look at two specific things right now to tell me when it's time to step back and assume risk once again. Remember, I began this conversation by saying right now, the right trade is no trade. Just sit back, right. observe, get through a moment of lack of clarity. I understand. Surat, so what are you doing today? What are you advising your clients to do? Where's a place to put your money, if anywhere, today? So I think on the fully invested portfolios, I, I completely agree with Joe. I'm not doing anything. I'm not coming out of the market, getting into the market. Where I am getting a bit active is, and I've been, I've been pretty clear with this, Scott, in the last three or four months when I've had new cash added in, I have not been aggressive. So this week I'm starting to nibble on companies that I think have come down quite a bit. And you know I'll throw off a list of those companies like Honeywell, uh, like a Roper. Uh, I'll add to some of those. And, and by the way, Qualcomm, which you know I, I like and I will still add to, I've liked it for a long time, so I'll take that side of that trade. And, and I'm looking for companies that have been sold off in, in this earnings environment where I'm looking through the next three or four months and it's hard to do, uh, but this is cash that's been sitting on the side and the stocks have come down 10, 15, 20% from where they were just you know a month ago. Well, tell me about Microsoft then, right? That's come down, that was a good quarter. Kramer called it one of the cleanest quarters yeah. he's ever seen. A great quarter. Even so, uh -oh. he says, even so, Jim Cramer says, wait, wait to buy it. And as I mentioned earlier, you need to see Microsoft bottom in his estimation before tech is going to have a turn. Now, the stock had a great run into the print. Revenue guide didn't wow investors, I suppose. And you're right. And I think the thing with Microsoft is it ran so far so quickly. I like it. It's one of our top holdings. And, and for new money, I will nibble on it. Um, you know, I, I will not put a full position in right now because I do think the tech stocks, as Jenny said, have more to come down before they get to more fair value. They do? So like, I'm looking you at mean the, the other big side. ones? Well, hold on. The, the, the big ones like Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, Facebook, they have more to come down? Uh, I do. I think so. I, I think when you look at their valuation basis and where they are, uh, they are trading as if, you know, they're going to go to the moon. And I think there's the, the prices have to come down before I get really comfortable. I still own them. I don't own them in the positions of the S&P because I think that's too high for portfolio management purposes. But uh, I'm picking my spots on those, and I'm, I'm going to more of quote, where Jenny would be, the value and, and the cyclicals, where I think there's more opportunity in the next three to six months. I mean, that's a difficult thing to do, Steve Weiss. I mean, all right, so oh, Jenny, I'll come to you. I, I see you, uh, I, I see you <laughs> waving your hand. Um, <laughs> Tech's got more place to come down, so yeah. I'm going to go to the stocks that are more towards the quote-unquote epicenter of, of the, the pandemic? 
I don't even know if it's epicenter that you're looking for specifically, but I think you can look at, at the market's been broadening out and you want to be part of that broadening process. So those big top stocks, I think people might want to keep holding them for a couple of reasons. One, they're great companies. Two, they have huge embedded capital gains. That could keep them from coming down a lot. But just here's a point of interest. Um, since the peak of the market on September 2nd, guess what? The energy sector is down 8%. And you know what's up 8%? Utilities. And that just has to do with these crazy expectations in either direction. The big tech stocks, the, the big um, you know, work from home stocks, whatever you want to call them, the expectations for them simply got too high and the valuations ran up too much. So I don't know if they come down or they flatten, but what I'm quite certain of is that there is a broadening and in the broadening, if you want to participate in that, then you own the companies that haven't done as well. And again, they might not be epicenter, they might be a utility like Duke or PPL. Those are going to do really well, and a lot of other companies will too, as the broadening takes, takes place and the gap between the haves and the have-nots narrows. Now, I want to hear, Weiss, about UPS, which you own, okay? Um, it beat. Stock's getting hammered because it had a huge run into the print. Again, Kramer, unbelievable quarter, but, quote, let it come in more. That's the same type of thing we're hearing with Microsoft. Great quarter, but don't buy it yet on this dip. That's part of the conundrum for investors. I agree. And uh, with what Jim's saying, I went through both of the quarters, went through the financials, went through the transcripts of the calls. You can't find any fault in the quarters whatsoever. However, UPS didn't put guidance out. And a lot of companies are, most still aren't. And Microsoft, the guidance I would say was not as optimistic as we're looking at. And you take that then with MasterCard, which had a bad quarter. Revenues were down 14%. And you're starting to pull a picture together of an SAP, and it's considered that an execution problem, company specific. But you're saying, you know what? Momentum cuts both ways. And then when you get that, again, that spike in COVID, you're saying, it's more likely to see the downtrend in spending than to see a continued uptrend. And I just want to come behind Surratt with Qualcomm. Take a look. It's a stay-at-home play also. Okay, Peloton, guess what chip they use to, to process the Peloton in your bike? Qualcomm chip. So that train has left the station. The reason why energy's performed and the reason why utilities have performed like they have in relative basis because they've done nothing for years. So go with the train that's still got some power behind it, and that's big cap tech. But don't buy here, as Jim said and as Joe said. Just be patient. Well, my overall yep. point then would be, Joe, if big cap tech has more room to come down and you've got virus cases on the way up, how in the world is the market going to go up in the face of that? Because it's going to make people reticent to buy cyclical stocks or reopening stocks or epicenter stocks. And then I can't buy big tech yet because it hasn't come down far enough. What, so what does that mean for the, for the overall direction of the market with less than a week to go until, oh, yeah, by the way, the election? Sideways at best, lower at worst. That's, that's, that's where the market will go if we're not going to see the performance from big cap technology. Um, I, I agree with Stephen Scott. You know, I look at my holdings. Uh, you know I got out of Amazon a few months back. If there is a, a further deterioration for these big cap technology names, the first thing I'm going to buy is going to be an Amazon. It's not going to be stepping into uh, an airline or a cruise ship 
or some of these other so-called value names that are supposed to provide this cyclical opportunity for me. I, I just don't see it. I, I continue to see a world in which we're going to need excess and extreme liquidity from monetary policy. And in that environment, I want to have growth and I want to continue to be allocated towards growth. And that's exactly what names like Apple and Microsoft and Amazon do for me. Unless They're established we're, uh, growth. Unless we're making too much of this. And you say after the bell tomorrow, the day is going to be saved because Apple's going to report. And so is Amazon and Facebook and Alphabet and a whole host of other companies that have a, uh, the potential of changing, Surat, the narrative around the market right now and this sell-off that we're seeing across the board. And I think you could see that, Scott. I mean, one of the things we haven't really talked about as a consumer, and, and consumer has been strong, and I think if we can bridge the gap to whenever we do get a fiscal stimulus and we get more money, uh, not just monetary, but fiscal, and when we hear from the apples of the world and when we talk about what consumer demand is going to be and, and you get more positive spending from some of the corporations, that could put a temporary floor to this market until we get past the next couple of weeks of this uncertainty of elections. And I think that would then have a broadening of the market, as we've discussed, and there could be more opportunities. So, you know, it's going to be rocky for, for the next few days, but I think tomorrow evening is going to be an interesting uh, uh, night just to hearing from what all these companies have to say. Yeah, no doubt about that. Uh, we got Tom Lee to come to the phone. He's uh, here with us now, of course, the head of research for Fundstrat Global Advisors. Tom, uh, welcome back. It's good to have you on the program today. Yeah, thanks, Scott. You know, when I see everything that's going on relative to the virus and otherwise, it seems like a difficult day to be recommending your so-called epicenter stocks, but that's what you continue to do. Why? Well, uh, Scott, you're right. I mean, you know, between now and Election Day, we're, you know, the market's in a tough spot because it can't look beyond that event. But the reason we feel comfortable sticking with the epicenter names is, number one, the virus is spreading in the U.S., but that outbreak is primarily in 30% of the country. You know, it's the states that didn't have an outbreak previously. So places like New York and Connecticut and Florida, they're still relatively benign rising cases. And the second is, is the story of operating leverage. We, we highlighted how over 26 industries have posted either flat or even down revenue growth, but positive EBITDA in Q3. So in a restricted top-line environment, they've been posting growth in EBITDA which means once we get past uh, and this sort of huge bump uh, around Election Day and we get stimulus, the 2021 earnings outlook is going to look really strong for these cyclical stocks. And, you know, as you get into November, people should be thinking about 2021. So I, it's, you know, it's a very tough spot. And, you know, we've been t sticking with these things, and it's been really painful. But I still think that's the right way to tell. But, Tom, you're not going to get stimulus on November 4th. Right. And you're not going to get a come down in virus cases on November 4th either. This virus is going to be raging into the fall and winter. That, that's not from me. That's from the the experts like Dr. Scott Gottlieb, who was on Squawk Box this morning, who says we're about to enter the most difficult phase of this whole thing. That's right. I mean, I agree with, you know, Dr. Gottlieb's really been speaking the truth throughout this crisis. And, and I agree. I think we are going through a third wave. Because, you know, especially as, as the cooler weather, our immune systems aren't as strong. But what we, what we think is really the scariest case is if the U.S. has to pursue a lockdown. That, that's what makes these stocks nervous. I just think we're not going to see New York City under lockdown again 
primarily because, you know, a lot of New Yorkers and everybody in Florida and Texas, you know, if you look at the surveys, NASC compliance is in the 90s, so people understand the need to manage this risk. But it's really the states that have never experienced wave one and wave two where, and mask usage and mitigation aren't as prevalent. Those are the states experiencing these huge outbreaks. But once they sort of panic around that, I think that's why we don't have to worry about what's happening in Europe, which is, you know, uh, the risk of a huge shutdown. Sure. But, but Tom, if, if I'm somebody who's concerned about the virus, I don't need my governor to shut everything down to get me to change my behavior or at least dial it back a little bit or not dial it forward at all. You hear what I'm saying, right? Yep. Yeah. And Scott, what you're saying is, look, we could just get cautious and that's going to put a chill on everything. And to an extent, I think that that is correct. I think that's what what we should all do is be vigilant. But if we just stop going to restaurants, you know, as a percentage of the economy, that's one or two percent. You know, the real thing driving this economic momentum is people buying homes people being able to safely go to school, which has been true, people able to keep businesses open, which has been true. But there are certain activities, as you're pointing out, that are not safe, and those are the ones that are going to get hit. But, you know, for 40 or 50 percent of the S&P to take this hit, to me, that's an overreaction. The other point you make that I want to discuss with you, which I'm not, not exactly sure what you mean in your note today is that you say the Fed is going to intervene if there's a contested election and that's more reason to be risk on? What is the, what's the Fed going to do? Well, I think what I'm saying is the Fed and its role has sort of taken a, it's taken a step back in, 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 in the market's narrative because we've been so focused on the election and we really were hopeful that Washington could get a fiscal plan put together. And what will happen is if we have a contested election, and I think the market is naturally going to say, wow, you know, we're in huge trouble because we don't even know who's, who's in charge of Washington and fiscal could be delayed. But that's at the time when we think the Fed will, of course, step up again and provide the visibility. So I think for people who are going to be worried about a contested election scenario, they have to remember the Fed is still going to provide some sort of backstop role to protect markets and the economy. So I, I think what we're forgetting is that there's still this Fed put out there. It hasn't been important because COVID and the elections have dominated headlines, but the Fed is still out there. Yeah. Um, hang with me, Tom. So, Steve Weiss, it seems to me that Tom Lee's point is, yes, there's a lot in front of us. I totally get it. Volatility is not going away anytime soon, but it's important to keep your eye on the big picture. We're not going to face some of the more drastic efforts that Europe might have to do and the ones that we did way back in the spring. You look ahead, you try and look through a lot of this stuff to an improving earnings picture in 2021, and that's the way you should invest. Don't invest on the next few months because that's a sucker's game and a fool's bet. Always. Look, what determines how much money you make or what your profitability is in your portfolio is your point of entry. And I'm going to say that the point of entry is too high. I think Tom's being way too optimistic at this point. Sure, you're going to see, uh, you're not going to see the lockdowns that we're seeing now in Germany and France. But to your point, Scott, which is very well taken, they're self-imposed lockdowns. Nobody's telling me not to go out and eat in a restaurant indoors, but I'm not going to do it. As a matter of fact, I don't know any of my friends or business associates that are going to do it. So the other issue is I'm very concerned about is that we, we're going to see more job losses. That's clear in the service industry. 16 million employees in that industry. The Northeast, you're not eating outdoors anymore. But 
Take a look at other companies. You're going to see permanent job losses from employees that haven't gotten it yet. That's going to inform consumer behavior, which I think we're already seeing. And this being consumer-led economy, I think it's pure folly to say that with all these negative headlines, with the negative headlines of an election not being decided for weeks, maybe months, that the consumer is going to say, hey, I feel great. I'm going out and I'm spending. It's just not going to so, happen. So, Tom, respond to that then. Uh, Steve's exactly right. You know, Goldman wrote about this a month ago. You know, we're going to lose restaurant spending because outdoor dining <coughs> is going to shrink. But the effect on GDP is not that big. Restaurants, like it's part of our experience, it's not that central to GDP growth. And with regard to... Uh, everything else, I, I, you know, the economy is organically been recovering. I mean, that's the reality. I mean, if, if someone's in New York today, it's not like it was in April. The number of cases is still mm -hmm. close to 85% off its highs, and hospitalizations are down 95%. So we're not, we're, we're being fearful, which is vigilant. I want people to take precautions. But does this mean that they have to vote with their money? Remember, that at the end of the day, the money is discounting a series of future events, but it does seem very fixated on this election, and I think it's disproportionately causing people to stay on the side. But Tom, we keep focusing on this Excuse idea me. of restaurants <laughs> only contributing 1% to GDP, or whatever the number was that, that you just said, rather than the bigger picture follow-on effect of the delay that all of this virus stuff has on areas like travel. When you're when you're doing, you know, a million people through TSA and that number then starts to shrink um, every day versus the week prior, which we've seen when you're talking about business spending, redeploying capital being pushed out even further, that then delays the recovery in and of itself, doesn't it? Oh, you're 100 percent right, Scott. Um, we still have a, a public perception gap. I know this morning there was some discussion with Jim Cramer. Um, and Boeing about the safety of air travel. That's another example where, you know, traveling on a plane, you have a lower probability of catching COVID on a plane than walking the streets in New York City. It's that much safer, but the perception's not there. So I think that we have a huge messaging problem, and that's keeping people cautious. But I, the reality is, is I think a lot of good things can happen. We're just forgetting that there is better therapeutics there's a vaccine. Tom, we, we don't have a not. messaging problem. We have a virus problem. Yes, we, have we have a, a virus problem, course, right? Yes, we cannot right, contain yeah. the virus. We cannot. Correct. Sorry. Yes, we, have a, we do have a virus problem. That's 100% right. But the other thing that we have to keep in mind is the way, the way this wave of COVID in the U.S. is unfolding, and it's not uncontagious. It is primarily happening in 30% of the U.S., where there hasn't been a lot of previous experience with these COVID. So we're, I think we're just waiting for those policymakers to panic in those states to make people take steps, whether it's wearing masks or mitigation. But I think the good news story is that like in the Northeast and in Florida, California, Texas, we're not seeing the same resurgence that we saw in April and July. But you're right, Scott. I don't want to say that there's, there's no virus, but there's a huge virus. The virus is still the single most important factor in markets. Yeah, no, for sure. Tom, I appreciate it very much. Uh, it's good to yeah, have your thanks. input on uh, an important day uh, in the market. I know we'll talk to you again soon. Steve Weiss, I'm coming back to you because you're, you're, the moves that you're making uh, match exactly what you're telling us. 
you are short Cisco, the food company, S-Y-Y, uh, because of restaurant business, because of arenas being closed. You're also selling the home builders and home construction and areas that have been absolutely on fire. That's correct. Look, there's not an insatiable appetite for buying homes. I think you've seen a lot of the early movers. A lot of the demand has picked up. We saw a Pulte report last week. I thought it was a great quarter. Stock was down. So I think it's going to where the puck's going to be, skating to where the puck's going to be, not where it is. And I think we've seen the peak in home building and housing activity. I'd also disagree with Tom. We're seeing a spike in the virus in New Jersey, in the Northeast. It's unconscionable levels. And so it starts somewhere and spreads. That's going to happen. And in terms of Cisco, airline travel, when you travel, you're not staying on the airplane. You're going to a hotel. So airplanes may be the safest place. What happens when you get off? What happens when you go in there to get on? So to me, this is what I was saying earlier, that the economy, I believe, has peaked in terms of the recovery, given that the coronavirus is now peaking and that we don't have stimulus. It was driven by stimulus. And to think the Fed can come out and save us when, they, when their tools left to go and they're always creative, just won't do anything. Europe had negative rates. Look at their economy. It hasn't done anything in 10 years. So that's the reality. It's unfortunate. I feel terrible for people losing their jobs. But unemployment, and we saw that in the last report, is going to move higher. The low-hanging fruit is already done for this recovery. Yeah. Jenny? So I don't think Steve's right that we've seen the peak of the economy in the virus recovery. It might be slower and slowing from where the path that we were on and the trajectory that we were on, but I think it is getting better. And if I look out 12 months to, to this time next year, I find it almost impossible not to imagine a scenario where economic growth is improved from where we stand today, regardless of what happens with stimulus or the Fed. I just want to like follow up on a few things from Tom Lee. And, and your comments on Gottlieb. On Gottlieb, he says it's terrible, but he also says we're in the seventh inning. That gives me a lot of comfort. Um, Tom Lee says that, or sorry, as your Denny said earlier today, we, the virus is getting worse. We all know that, but we're also learning to live with it. And that's really, really important that we're learning how to maintain life as, as more normal than when it got really bad in the spring. Lastly, I have this client who I've quoted a few times, this wonderful British guy, amazing investor. And he says, one bets against the U.S. at one's own peril. And I think that that is as important today as it always has been. You don't bet against the U.S. Yes, yeah, Steve, I feel sorry for people who are losing their jobs too, but the U.S. is flexible and resilient and industrious, and those people are, are going to find new jobs. And it probably won't take as long as we think it will. Yeah. So I'm not as negative and not as bearish on all of this. You, you know what happened. Okay. I'm not betting against the U.S. I'm not betting against the U.S. I'm just saying that you have to position your portfolio. I haven't sold Microsoft. I haven't sold Skyworks. I'm not selling those. That's where the economy is in big cap tech. That's 5G that's okay. letting you work from anywhere, that's mm -hmm. letting you do anything you want away from the office. You're also assuming, Jenny, right. that it's a nine-inning you you're, you're, you're also assuming it's a nine-inning game, right? Fair enough. We, we, can't, <laughs> get the, we can't get the virus under control, <laughs> and we don't have the vaccine when we think we, we want to have it or we're going to get it. You go to extra innings, and that prolongs everything a little bit more than, than we'd but like. But you know what? Right now, yeah, and right now you go with the statistically probable outcomes because that's the best way to strip the emotion that out. Worked, and a that lot that of didn't work so well for the, the Rays last night, now did it? They, they went with the numbers, too. Okay, Look how fine. that worked out, right? <laughs> right? I'm just but, saying. But Analytics don't work that well in the stock Most, market sometimes either. 
I know, but most games last nine innings. So let's let's assume a nine inning game. Yeah. So Rod, <laughs> I'll give you the last word. Then we're going to take a break. Everything for that. So I, I'm in agreement with Jenny. I'm an optimist, and I think you know we're going through a rough time here. But I'm not going to bet against the U.S. I'm not going to bet against the stock market in a long time. And, and, and to Weiss's point, I love Weiss, but, you know, if you want to be where the puck's going, that's where Jenny says the puck is going. We want to be in opportunities that have not shown where they are today. And that could be three, six, nine months. But a year from now, when we get hopefully a better handle on this, and it could be an 11-inning game, I think I'll rather be there than be out of the market. Uh, and bet against it. I mean, this is, really doesn't come mm-hmm. down to whether you're an optimist or a pessimist. It comes down to whether you're a realist. Just look at where the fundamentals yeah. are. Look at what the numbers are. Joe, you're shaking your head? No, I agree with you. It, it has nothing to do with being an optimist or a pessimist. It, it has to do with how much risk. I keep going back to risk. How much risk do you want to assume in a particular environment? That's simple. That's what it comes down to. Get to the other side of all of the headwinds that we know. I I don't disagree with you, but it's risk on your own portfolio allocation. It's what risk assessment can you take. And, you know, if you are risk averse or you feel you can't handle it right now, there's no reason to be in the stock market. But if you're taking a longer term view, I think, you know, you should be in the stock market. And there are plenty of opportunities there. Okay, let's uh, let's do take that quick break. We'll come back later, Joe, I promise. I want you to check out this mystery chart, though. It is a retail name. It's up more than 25% this year. Better late than never. Just got a big upgrade. We'll talk about that. Plus, big tech's under fire today, as you know. The CEOs of Facebook, Google, Twitter are testifying on Capitol Hill. That's a live picture. We're monitoring that. We'll get an update. There's been some heat, as you would expect. We'll have the headlines straight ahead. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. Welcome back. want to get you caught up on the European markets, which are closing right now. It's been the worst day for the DAX in Germany since March. Loss of greater than 4% there over in France, down to 3 and a third percent The FTSE London, 2.5%. Talking about the possibility of more lockdowns over in Germany and other areas uh, on the continent there. And you see a sell-off abroad there and certainly spilling over to our markets here in the United States. We want to, do want to go to Julia Borston now out in Los Angeles. Uh, she has a news alert for us on Disney. Hey, Julia. Scott, Disney responding to Senator Elizabeth Warren's questions to the media giant about its need to lay off 28,000 workers and her questions about how that decision tied into other financial decisions that the company made, including those made before COVID. Disney writing a a three-page letter to Senator Warren that points to the fact that they've been unable to open the California park placing blame on that rather than other things, saying, quote, our financial decisions over the past several years are wholly unrelated to the need to lay off workers. As we have stated, 
Given the ongoing uncertainties of this pandemic, including limits on capacity to promote social distancing and the state of California's refusal to permit a safe reopening anytime soon, it unfortunately is not feasible to pay non-working employees indefinitely. Scott, just want to point out here that this is just the latest comment Disney has made about its ongoing battle with the state of California. It says it has been able to safely operate the park in Florida, but the fact that California has set a very, very strict limit about how few cases there have to be in Orange County, where Disneyland is, uh, the Disneyland Resort is, they say that there is not really a path forward for them there. So more conflict there between Disney, the state of California, Disney shares down about two and a half percent. Scott. All right, Julia, we appreciate that. Thank you, Julia Borston. Let's get the headlines now with Sue Herrera. Hi, Sue. Hello, Scott. Hello, everybody. Here's what's happening at this hour. Hurricane Zeta is speeding towards the Louisiana coast. It is expected to come ashore later this afternoon as a Category 2 storm with sustained winds of nearly 100 miles per hour. It's a big storm. In Vietnam, a typhoon has come ashore that could be the worst to hit that country in 20 years. At least two are dead and at least 26 are missing. Recent flooding has left more than a million people homeless. Switzerland is enacting new pandemic restrictions, including new mask rules, tighter limits on gatherings, and earlier closing times for restaurants and bars. And at the World Series last night, Los Angeles Dodgers third baseman Justin Turner was pulled from the game after his latest COVID-19 test came back positive. However, he returned to the field after his team won to take a picture with the World Series trophy. The Dodgers president of operations acknowledged the pictures of Turner out of isolation and without a mask might be, quote, not good optics. You are up to date, Scott. I'll send it back to you. Yeah, maybe more than optics, not good, Sue. Yes, exactly. I wasn't going to go there, but yes, you are absolutely right. I think we were all thinking the same thing. Yeah, um, you were right. Even though the Dodgers are my team, so I'm happy that they Me won. too. I grew up in L.A., you know. Yeah, thanks, Sue. You got it. All right, Sue Herrera. Piper Sandler today has named Best Buy one of their favorite ideas for the fourth quarter and 2021. It's our call of the day. Joe, you previously owned it. I know it's easy to say this is a little late. Um, look, the stock's up 28% year-to-date. It's up 43% or whatever over the last uh, six months or so. Is it too late? It depends on the holiday season, and, and that's why I'm, I don't own it anymore, and I'm not uh, aggressively uh, stepping back in to buy it. Tell me how this holiday season is going to be for Best Buy and for most of the retail community. Um, back to the prior comments in the conversation with Tom Lee, what's the response on the part of the consumer to a potential contested election, the rise in virus cases, and even asset prices potentially pricing lower? So that's where I have some trepidation. I'm not sure how this holiday season plays out. I need to see that. And then on the other side of that, um, certainly uh, I would look at Best Buy as an opportunity. They clearly have benefited from the work from home in particular, the remote learning environment and global inventories being incredibly low. Yeah, it's a real battleground, too. The average price target's $120. You've got 13 buys and 13 holds. So the street is a decidedly split, as you see, on shares of Best Buy. Three sales, by the way. I did mention the CEOs of Facebook, Google, and Twitter are testifying before Congress this hour about a major legal shield that protects them called Section 230. 
It's a live picture there of Senator Capito. We are monitoring all of that. We've got the latest headlines straight ahead. And as we go to break, check on the S&P sector heat map right now on what is a red day across the board. The Dow's down 800. The S&P is down nearly 100. NASDAQ's down 3%. Financials are the best of the worst. We're back on the half after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. We're back. Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg, Twitter's Jack Dorsey, Google's Sundar Pichai testifying today in front of the Senate Commerce Committee. Our Elon Moy has been following that hearing all morning long, joins us now with the very latest, and it has gotten heated at times, I guess, as we expected it would. Elon. Well, that's right, Scott. Twitter was really the company in the crosshairs of the committee today. GOP Senator Ted Cruz had promised a free speech showdown as he billed this hearing, and he certainly did deliver. He accused Twitter of rampant censorship and silencing. And at one point, he was literally yelling at Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey, calling him his own Democratic superpower. Now, eventually, the chairman of the committee, a Republican also, Roger Wicker, had to sort of move the hearing along. And Cruz's speech was followed by equally impassioned comments from a Democratic Senator, Brian Schatz, who said that the hearing had turned into a sham and that Republicans were just trying to bully these CEOs into spreading misinformation ahead of the election. So that just gives you a sense of how explosive the politics around this issue are. As we are just now one week out from Election Day, Democrats pointed out that this hearing didn't even need to happen right now. The Senate is actually officially adjourned, Scott. But we do know that one important person does appear to have been watching, and that is the president, who has now tweeted about the hearing several times. Back over to you. Yeah, no big surprise there either. Elon, thank you. Elon Moy down in Washington for us. We have a number of big earnings after the bell tonight. Visa, Ford, and more. We're going to get you ready for those. There they are, all down uh, into the prints. We'll get you the trades next. 
All right, welcome back. I mentioned we do have several earnings after the bell on the right-hand side of your screen there, Ford, Visa, Amgen, Western Dig. All right, Weiss, you own Ford. What's your big expectation in an area that has been hot? Uh, I think they've already forecast or broadcast what the quarter is going to be. It's going to be a great quarter. I've got no concerns about it. I'll think about what I'm going to do with the stock after this quarter. But right now, I'm content holding into it. Is it, it. going to be good Reasons enough? Is a different story, right? Though. Is it going to be good enough? Right? I, th I'm th I think I'm it thinking, will. I'm thinking Microsoft. I'm thinking yeah. these other UPS, right? Stocks that really delivered in their earnings, but the stocks ran so much into the number that what you're seeing today is maybe not what you thought you were going to get. That's a great point. The stock's up 20% in just the last few weeks. But I still think there are enough people out there that want to own the autos. And uh, I think the quarter will be good enough. And tomorrow we'll, I'll wake up, take a look, and say, hey, I'm glad I own this. Uh, going out three right. months, I don't know if that'll be the case. Jenny, i got to be real quick. Amgen, though, you own it. Yeah, we're looking for commentary on the drug pipeline at 13 times earnings with EPS that should grow in the high single digits for the next few years. It looks really cheap, but we just need positive commentary on the pipeline ahead. All right, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back, more trades. And as we go to break, a check on the major averages. Tough day on the street. Uh, NASDAQ's getting crushed. S&P's down 100. Dow's down more than 800. It is the worst day since September 3rd. 836 now for the Dow. We're back right after this quick break. All right, let's do the futures outlook now. The 10-year Treasury yield uh, it's falling for the fourth day in a row amid today's sell-off. Joining us now, Brian Stutland of Equity Armor Investments. You see this trend sticking around? I mean, there's a lot of uh, obvious volatility going on, but it's not like yields, Brian, are, are totally collapsing. No, they're not, Scott. It's a great point. And what we're finding, actually, is yields and bonds are correlating the stock market, meaning as the stock market has sold off since September, so have bonds. Interest rates a little bit higher. That's not good, typically. In that case, I'd rather go to both extremes, own stocks, own volatility, instead of diversifying with bonds. So I'm a seller right now of bonds. The 10-year note, you can look at that. TD's future, trading around 139, I'd be a seller, looking for it to trade down to 138. After that, I think I could stop myself out, keep a tight stop, 139.08. I'm basically only risking 250, 250 bucks to make 1,000. So in this case, it's a short-term trade, maybe just through the election, separate out. I like rather owning equities and volatility with that, keeping that hedge and getting out of my bond positions um, as, I, as I have for my own portfolio over the last few days. Gotcha. Stutz, appreciate it. Thanks. We'll talk to you again soon. That's Brian Stutland. We'll do final trades next. We'll do final trades in a second. Jenny, though, I want to comment on GE. You told me that you're going to follow Tuza on this. Now, he's not calling it a buy, but he does say credit where credit is due. The stock should be up today. It's up nearly 10%. Is that good enough for you yet or no? Not quite, um, but I like, I like seeing it. I like seeing it because it's today's poster child for that broadening of the market. I think... Joe Ritchie at Goldman really nailed it, so props to him. But for me, I'm going to always defer to the experts. And on this one, I give Steve Tusa. That's, that's who I would take the lead from. <laughs> okay, give me a, a stock real quick, uh, Jenny, for a final trade. And i got to whip it around quick. One oak. Okay. Everybody, quick. Weiss, Joe, and then Surratt. Cash. Cash. First solar. First solar. Fortune Brands. All right, guys. Good stuff. Fortune I appreciate Brands. it.
Thanks for watching. The Exchange starts now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.